This is one I've done before. I've done I've done this um I've done this podcast and vlog before really, but I guess it's dated and I, I should do it again and do a, do a, do a good job of it. Frequently get asked, how the hell did you end up with a bike company? And there's a lot of uh, you know I mean obviously kind of want to ask myself the same question sometimes. I you know I, I would really normally answer in quite a glib fashion I, I, I have no idea it, it just kind of happened and I think that's probably the, <laughs> the most honest answer of all was it just kind of happened um, let's go right back to the beginning let's go you know back into the dark ages neither neither of my parents drive they've never owned a car well my mum had a car for a little bit which she decided to try and learn to drive and that didn't work out and she hadn't got a car I don't have a car. Neither of my parents had a car. I remember my grandfather having a car for a bit of time when I was really young. But I can't, you know, recall any any reason that we didn't ride on bikes. From about five or six years old, I was expected to ride everywhere with my parents. Like, absolutely everywhere. Um, and on and off-road. Now, mum and dad had bought these two bikes from Giant and they were called the Escape and they were um, kind of this Larry neon business going on and I remember they had like frame pads and kind of um, the little um, the little bits where you could store stuff like and and a saddle bag you know the the whole whole nine yards and and this the mountain biking so early at this point the giant escape even had a road stem on it you know like a cast kind of road stem it had biopaste chain rings they're they were oval shaped um way beyond their time shimano dior thumb shifters and these big foamy grips um and i'm guessing they were probably quite pricey at the time mountain biking was a bit of a niche thing um and we used to well, we used to ride them everywhere, and I had this kind of crappy rally bike. And my my first my first grown up mountain bike was a Saracen. I really really wanted a Rally Activator too because it had front and back suspension. My parents insisted on me getting this rigid Saracen bike, which down the line obviously was a lot more sensible. You know, a lot lot more sensible because it was good. So, mountain biking becomes a a freedom to me. You know, my mom and dad didn't really care what I did at all in terms of going out. Like, I was allowed to just go out and ride. And in fact, I had to go. I had to ride with people that are older than me because most of the kids my age weren't allowed to go as far as I was. You know, I was I was leaving in the morning, going out and riding and going all day. And I did that for most of my childhood, you know, um, and then into my teenage years. I, I, I still ride with the guys that I rode with when I was like 13, 14, 15. Um, and... It started entering races. My first race was the South Downs Dash, my first mountain bike race, sponsored by USE, and I remember that. Um, I remember that being incredibly exciting, you know, and and getting like a taste for it. Even then, though, you know, I kind of had weird, weird bikes because I couldn't get things how I wanted them. I had like rental motocross bars on my mountain bike with a BMX stem, so it fit it. You didn't really do riser bars much at that point. There was a few out there, but they were quite expensive. And obviously, I was like a kid, so I couldn't really afford those. Um, and I had like really big tires on there. And I, do you know, for all intents and purposes, my my um, 
you know, my racing bike looked a lot like a clunker, you know, it had really big wide moto bars and, you know, I, <clears throat> I wish I had photos of it. I, I, I sadly don't have photos of it. Um, but my mum's promised to go through the archives now they've moved home and see if she can find some embarrassing uh, bicycle pictures for you guys to see at some point in the future. I, I, I keep riding bikes until um, I go off and actually start travelling the world. I end up living in a bunch of different countries. Living both, co both coasts of the US. Um, I went and worked in Nepal in the Himalayas for, for a bit of time. Worked in Paris. Um, traveled through Europe. Um, it was, you know, it's a really exciting point in my life. But but bikes were sort of far away from me then. I'd kind of given up on them. And I gave up on bikes for really a stupid reason, is that a, uh, a, a girlfriend of mine said that they were childish and that I should grow up and put them away. And I did, like an idiot, you know, like you do when you're younger. So at some point in the... Um, you know, at some point in the in the timeline, I kind of um, I see a Kona Stinky, right? And it's for sale on Sunset MTB, and it's a fourteen point five inch frame. And I was obsessed with riding tiny frames, and it was I had a double chain set, but long travel like dual crown forks. And I thought, man, that looks wicked. I got I got to get one of those. I got it on finance, and I took it out, and that was the end of me again. I, I just went over the edge straight away. I was I was buying like fancy components. I actually got one of the first dropper posts, um, which was um, oh, do you know what? I can't remember the company now. Maybe it was Gravity Research or something, but it was like you know they had this free ride like post. It had an outside external cable and. Uh, in fact, the first dropper I got, I think, had a lever underneath it. But anyway, it was, it was superb. I really, really opened up riding for me at the time. Um, and I just got, got out there on that, and it just got me straight back into it. And then um, a, a tragedy befalls me. <laughs> um, and my alcohol and drug use spirals greatly out of control from being fun to... Um, consuming my life and starting to ruin it and I lose everything I lose my house I lose my relationship my job I lose everything and go to drug rehabilitation and come out um of it and I think I'm, I'm not going to get my way through this man this is uh you know how do you even fit back into society when you've when you've gone through that and they told me when I left Basically, like one in ten people might succeed, but the rest will relapse. And of course, just weeks later, I relapsed, and um, uh, I didn't like it. So that was really good that you know I didn't have the taste for it anymore, as it will. Uh, I still drank alcohol, um, and sometimes to excess, but I'd managed to kick drugs. And then once my daughter come along, um, I'd been sober for a bit. And I went to a Christmas party and it had an open bar and I, I kind of blacked out and woke up on the beach and come home to myself, you know, to my my fiance and I was a mess. I couldn't speak or anything like that because I was so plastered and I, I thought about, you know, what happens if I try and pick up my daughter and I drop her and she dies or something like that. That's not the kind of father I want to be. So I, I knocked drinking on the head and I've been sober ever since. In fact, the only times I've drunk have been accidental in that time, and I can count them on one hand. One, 
my sister accidentally gives me the wrong beer when I expected an alcohol-free beer, and I got that made me feel quite ill. Um, when I had a small bit of sake with one of our guests, well, it was makale, a Korean drink, one of our guest artists. He just didn't understand. I didn't drink, so I just went with it. Um, half a bottle of 2.5% grapefruit beer at Berlin Airport because I just everything else looked disgusting, so I just went for it and had half of it, and I was like, Bleh. no, no, thank you. And um, less than half a shot of whiskey on Christmas Eve, which I didn't like either. So, <laughs> so that, and count those all on one hand. People ask me if I miss it. The only thing I miss is those tiny French beers. Nothing really tastes like that. I quite, quite like them. But there's a lot of stuff on the market. And I think that sobriety is one of the things that certainly helps me to be able to do the job that I do because um, all of that time when my friends were down the pub, that's when we're starting the business. So well, probably should get on to the business bit. But I know, I guess the background's important as well. You need to know where we were at. So I had a regular job um, and on the side I had a t-shirt company. And that's why clothing's so important to us because... Um, like I found out later in life that Spooky started out the same because we don't have investors and we don't have banks we don't have like all of those kind of things um, we need to pay for things you know so what we do is we make clothing which is something we know how to do and makes a reasonable profit for, for our endeavour and then we can take the money and use it for research and development or to pay for things that we need to pay for up front that we can't afford. There's loads of things in the bike industry that we have to pay for that people would take for granted. Jigs and tooling and custom dropouts and head tubes and, and ISG 05 mounts. All of those things, they, they cost money and we have to pay for them up front. In fact, we pay for most of our bikes up front. Um, and all the development time and all of that that we do in our own time, we don't charge for that. So we kind of need, need to make an income to pay the people that do our jobs as well so clothing is really important and that was my first taste of freedom was owning my own clothing company and from there um we fell into it but um that the shop underneath the the house we lived in house flat <laughs> tiny flat we lived in um incidentally where tim lives now um we the, the shop became empty, so we, we kind of took it without knowing really what we were going to do with it, and we, we opened a tattoo studio with a couple of the artists that we were working on with T-shirts, so it kind of went together. And that's, uh, it, that's in its fifth year now. That was well, it's rolling over to its sixth year now. So, we, you know, we, we've never had any money or, you know, any backing or investment or anything, but we've just managed to put in the extra hours. I mean, we used to... <laughs> We used to come home from my day job, put our kid to bed, and then we'd just go and start working in the other shop, you know. Between us, me and my wife are sort of tag team in and out as best we could. How does this relate in any way to having a bicycle company? So one of the, the guys that used to get tattooed at our shop was Tim. And we The big joke was we just looked exactly like each other. <laughs> And it was just the basis of our friendship is is kind of like this joke that we look quite similar. Um, and both of us had become so busy with work and stuff like that that we put on a bit of weight and we decided to go out for a run like and go to the gym and sort of get ourselves fit. 
One of the lengths that we'll go to to get out of hard work is one day we're doing this run around Amarin Park Estate and I was like, this would be a lot easier if, you know, we had bikes. And Tim was like, oh, I used to love riding. I rode BMX or a peewee BMX when I was a kid. And we are like talking, or set it off, start talking about bikes. At this point, I've managed to get rid of all my bikes, sold them all on eBay and kicked the habit fully. And we start talking about it. And he's like, oh, I've got like a PPI claim in at the moment. I might get a Canyon. They're like good value. And I was like, oh. That's a great idea. And he got one. And I just, I went on pink bike and I think I just bought, I bought like an Ellsworth. I bought the first thing I could afford and built it up. I had 24 inch times three wheels on it. You know, it was like a size small one. Had these big fox forks on it. You know, it was really old school. And this is only like two and a half years ago. So, and we're, we're going out and we started riding like uh, Penshurst and Stenning and, you know, and, and and locally, like we even tried like White Ways Lodge, it didn't go too well. And we really had a good time. Aston Hill. Surface to air, Aston Hill was like the kickoff for me and Tim, like riding again. Like it was like the bit that solidified, like that's it. We're back. You know, we can't stop now. One winter we were at Stenning and I was on my third bike of the year and it was just like we were having this conversation where I was like there's so many things I like about all the individual bikes that I have, but I just can't find the one that I like. And I kind of wish I could mix them all together. And we were like, I wonder what it would take to make a frame. And we started talking about this, this frame that we were going to make. And I know a lot of you know the history. I'm skip over the next bit where we sort of go through. And we realise we've got to make a few of them if we want to make any of them. And we end up accidentally making a hardtail first. And we did a Kickstarter to fund that. And it failed, but then people wanted to buy them. And we'd already made some T-shirts. And we had the, you know, and we had the makings of kind of the brand. Like, so this part, like, everyone's heard a lot of times. So we'll skip that bit. That's, when, when is the line where your project, your little bit of passion, crosses over to being a work thing? Like an actual living, breathing business. And it was, um, I still think, you know, everything we were doing was going okay. I think it's when we launched The Wolf that it becomes like a thing. Because the first, the first drop of The Wolf, I think we sold six or seven. It wasn't very many, but it was like, to us, it was like, whoa, that's almost like 10. That's quite a lot now. And at that point, I think we then sold about 30 bikes. And we we're like, they're, they're, this is, this is going to be quite a lot to manage. <clears throat> so we made a decision to allow free ordering. And that meant that it was a pre-order, but we didn't define how many we would take. And we kind of let everyone know we're going to do it. And we got it all together. And then we let it go. And that moment we let it go, it it just went, and I was like, I'm going to have to take some time off my day job at the studio to make the time to administer this. And I think that's the point when you have a business. The, the real test, I think, is when you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and you have had orders, like significant orders. We... um tried to choke things a bit and we did like a drop system so we were kind of 
choking things because we were so oversubscribed. We we're just selling so many things that we we had no way to administer them. You know, we end up with with, with Joe Zam, Zam, who was uh was was just doing artwork for stuff. We were so oversubscribed with that that him and and Bungle, bassist and a local band, were helping me box things up. You know, you're trying to do it in between your day job and having a kid and sort of you're putting it all together and I'd never seen something in all of our companies catch fire and be so ready so soon you know we we don't have a background in the bike industry and we were just unashamed of telling people in the industry that we didn't know what we were really doing we might need some help and you know what the industry reacted so positively to that on the whole most people have been nothing but supportive. They've really helped us through it. It's been incredible. That was the point it caught fire. Now, how, how do I, what do I think caused that? Because it's no good just talking about what it was. It's a, what actually caused it was the important part. So I think the important part is that we reached out to the press a lot. We weren't ashamed to, to, to reach out to people and talk to them and tell them about what we had. So we had a genuinely different product. I mean, you know, now what we're, what we're doing now was seen as unthinkable just two years ago. You know, we the head cheaper fall off. You know, the snap. It's too big. It's too long. It won't work. So what we're, you know, we kind of... We, we just put our all into it and we wanted to communicate that. And also we were kind of tired of, of brands saying, you know, that they didn't feel like they were rider owned at all. It felt like they'd seen a bunch of products and then tried to sell them to people after they had them. Whereas we were trying to find what people wanted and then make it for them. And I think that's a very diff different thing. I think that's the most important thing is that the, the place that it came from. We defined a need, and then we we fulfilled the product for it. And it's it is challenging. So this is one of the things I get people that say, you know, that I'm no good at run, running a business. Absolutely, I'm not. I didn't set out to do this. You know, we 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 don't even joke about. It. We say like the thing that that sick probably needs is like an adult, you know, in in charge to help us with things. We we're learning everything for the first time, and we still are. And it, it, it's been over a year, you know, that, that it's been at this level. But we're still learning and we're still, still progressing through it. And I think it's that kind of, you know, not giving up, even when it feels bad, even when, you know, it doesn't feel like you can save it. Not, not giving up and keeping going and, and working as a team together is so important. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have done it on my own at all. I definitely would have had to have stopped. I think I would have been too tired and too stressed. I got a, a sleep app on my phone, and it tells me that in 2018, the average amount of hours I slept was 4.5 hours. And I'm not showing off about that, like, 24-7 hustle grind, yeah! You know, I mean, like, I think that's disastrous for a person. You know, I think that there's definitely something to be said for making hours, because... There is, you know, a lot of people that would love to do the thing they love and they're not able to do it because it doesn't, they don't have enough time. But you have to prioritise your own growth. And I don't just mean 
starting a bike company. I mean anything that you want to do, whether you wanted to run a marathon, whether you wanted to learn a language, something like that. You have to allocate that time. You know, I'll get people saying, oh, do you see Game of Thrones? It's like, nah, I'm just doing the thing. It's like, do you want to come to the pub? Nah, I can't. I've just got to do this thing. It makes you deeply unpopular. And then the same people were like, how did you find the time for it? And it was like, but it was when, the, you know, like when I didn't do the thing, you know, like that's when I was doing it. And get up early in the morning, go downstairs, make my breakfast, do my emails, get intel, like look at what people are doing, be interested, talk to people. Can't be shy when you're running a business. Got to talk to people. You know, it's nice. Made a lot of friends, you know, made a lot of enemies, made a lot of friends. That's business for you. It's exciting. You know, it's challenging. You put yourself out there, people are going to take shots at you. You need to develop a pretty thick skin. Some of the stuff that gets said is quite, you know, weighs on you a bit, but you try your best. And it's always this feeling. People are so used to being conned that they expect it. You know, their product gets delayed. You know, it's late. It's a scam. You're being ripped off. And it's like, I don't have the courage to rip people off. I don't have the balls to be a criminal. I'm too worried about losing my home, my family, to um, to be a good criminal, you know? I I, uh, I I just don't have that that devil-may-care attitude. So the crux is, and I did this with no industry experience, but I, I do love the product and I live it, and I think that goes a very, very long way. That authenticity cannot be bought. You can't even develop it later on. I think some brands try to develop it by curating a team of like-minded and invested people, cool people around the brand. That's what you do. It's where you buy influencers. You buy influence. But the, the, the big trick is actually just making what you want and finding people like you that will want it. It doesn't sound hard, but it probably is. I mean, it is quite hard, to be honest. You know, It really is. It, it's so fulfilling. And I, I don't think I ever give it up. You know, there isn't, there's no test too big for us, I think. We, we will just keep going. It's, it's the most exciting thing I've ever done in my life. You know that feeling when you get a new bike? That happens every time we get a delivery. And sure, there's problems. And sure, I want to pull my hair out and scream. And, you know, but... We've been through so much now that it's diminishing. Every time it feels better. Every time it feels easier. And that's that's why you keep doing it. And if it doesn't feel like that for you, you won't be able to do it. And there are people that will want to see you fail. And I'll tell you why they want to see you fail. They want to see you fail because it proves to them that it's too hard for them to do. So they take a shot at you simply because... It proves to them, deep down, that this was too hard for anyone to do. This was too hard for anyone, including themselves, to do. And the reason that they enjoy watching you fail is because it proves to them they don't have to step out of the light of safety into the darkness of not knowing what is happening. You have to understand the risk that we put ourselves under is extreme. There is no guaranteed paycheck. There is no guaranteed paycheck there is no safety net i 
there is nothing stopping this month getting paid nothing at all from all of my companies. If I'm sick, I don't get paid. There's no insurance. There's no nothing. And that fear is constantly driving you. And it's both positive and it's both negative because you can't always live like that. That's the scary thing. But it's also the thing that happens. That's how it is. And you'll have to accept those risks if you want to live that. Conversely, it's quite nice sometimes to wake up and go, I can't do this today. I'm too tired. I'm not motivated. I'm taking the day off. And you don't have to answer to anyone. Just answer to yourself. But you find that you don't do quite as many of those days as you would do if you were working with someone else with that safety net. I hope it's been insightful. Thanks for your time today. Bye.